You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about some kind of initiative that may have something to do with the Avengers. And I'm just one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and with me is John Mills. You know, I, I really, honestly, I think we're at the point where this is sort of uh, testing the theory of our show, uh, our show title, at least, <laughs> <Yes>. because <laughs> to your point, who are we assembling anymore? I, is anybody assembling? You know- Was, What's assembling? I don't even know what the word means anymore. That might actually be the biggest question of all of phase four so far is what is this trying to assemble? Uh, because I, I do think it's a it's a it's a really muddy question, which I, I think will be a, go even deeper than that. And I'll say, what is this thing trying to accomplish? Good Lord, yeah, man. Yeah. Pick a direction already. You know, uh, it'll be a fantastic question. You know, as as we uh, look towards this year, we'll be wrapping up phase four. And I think it's going to be a big question that we'll ask at the end of phase four, which is, you know, uh, that will be a big question. What did this accomplish? You know, and 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 where did we end up as we you know move into where we are now, which is uh, you know a phase five. So, but uh, before we dive into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, we'd love it if you would interact with us on social media. Uh, go over to at Trek FM on Twitter. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM with the entire network. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We're also on that new whatever threads thing, I think. Uh, you can also find us uh, online at Trek.FM. We've got a listeners-only discussion group where listeners from all over the world can discuss all of the shows that are happening here on the network. Uh, you can do that in the Babel Conference. Just type Babel in the search field and you'll find us. You can join and talk to those listeners. Uh, you can also support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash TrekFM and Please do. It makes uh, sure that all of the shows that we're doing here on the network can keep coming to you each and every week. It, you know, it's pretty expensive to do this, and honestly, we can't do it without listeners just like you. And last but not least, you know, help us out. So subscribe wherever you're listening to this, and if your podcatcher of choice uh, has the ability to rate or review a podcast, please do so. Uh, Apple podcasts spotify are places where that can happen so we really appreciate if you do that um john i I guess one of the questions that i wanted to ask you is is that you know this movie starts kind of unlike many of the marvel movies especially that we've had recently because we we start with a cold open where we are in the middle of action and um which of course ties in to uh, the the rest of the story. And, and I wanted to ask you, I, I know this is not a film that you had seen before. And so as you're coming into this movie, um, how did, did that draw you into this movie quickly? Do you feel like that was a good choice for this film to start with this cold open and then kind of go from there? No, because of the execution. I felt like I was watching a video game cutscene, and I didn't, I, I was sitting there going, okay, that's, that's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in a terrible wig, so I know I'm a Doctor Strange movie here. 
And then I don't know who that person is that's running with him, whatever. And then there's a beast that looks like one of the things from Edge of Tomorrow. Okay, I got it. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be, you know, they're running to. It was surprising to me because I think it works if the execution would have been more like I would have expected a Sam Raimi type sequence to have been for a cold open like this to make it more dreamlike. This is a very straightforward video game cutscene leap from pedestal to pedestal and then wake up. It's, it's so, it was so underwhelming. I am a, I am a Sam Raimi fan, not just because of Spider-Man. I'm a Sam Raimi fan. I love Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. Um, yes, I do love Spider-Man as well, but I love for love of the game. Sam Raimi is an innovative, creative, visual director, and the cold open felt so bland compared to what I expected it. Like, if you had said it's going to open with this sequence and Sam Raimi is directing it, my reaction would have been, oh, wow. That's going to absolutely hurt my brain. That's going to be so cool to look at. And instead, I just looked at it. I was like, there was absolutely nothing. It felt like they weren't even trying to make it convincing. That they just were conveying a plot point. And as a result, it, it was just super underwhelming. I I really agree with you on this. And, you know, this is the second time that I've seen this film because we saw it in, in the theater, my wife and I, when it first came out and, of course, talked about it in the 602 Club. And, and I, I think what's fascinating uh, to me about this film is that the visual representation of the beginning of this film doesn't really do a good job of feeling like the rest of the movie. Um, I, I think that the choice here and this cold open, the way that it's shot, the lighting choices that they're making, um, I think you're absolutely right that you can absolutely tell you're on some sort of volume and or, you know, complete green screen that's not really done very well. Uh, and n n everything looks flat. I, I And I think that yep. this is a thing that's really affected a lot of the – Marvel movies recently and many movies, not just Marvel, but many movies that are using, you know, an extraordinary amount of VFX is that things are feeling so flat. And therefore, when you're not feeling the dimension of a scene, when it's not feeling as 3D as it should, uh, your brain is like, this just feels so fake. And I think that the setup of this is great. I think the, the idea to do the cold open, the idea to bring you into this and just be like, what the heck is going on um, is fantastic. I think the choice of colorization of this, you know, area of the multiverse does not work. This this purpley, I don't know, it, it just feels almost uh, like uh, a, a place you'd want to spend a lot of time, whereas you get the feeling like this is a place you wouldn't want to spend a lot of time later on in the film. There's nothing creepy or scary about it, which is the complete opposite, I feel like, for the most part of where Raimi goes with the rest of the movie, which is to get real weird in many places and really let his imagination go run wild and I think really allow the visual artist to create things that just feel off kilter. You know, because that's that's kind yeah. of what they're going for. They're going for the horror vibe. I think the problem is, is that this cold open doesn't start 
with the strong enough horror vibe that you want for the rest of this movie. Because I think if it does, um, it immediately creates something that kind of blows your socks off, right? From start, from the very start. Um, and I think this is something that could have easily been fixed if they had decided to revisit the colorization of the scene and to really give it a moodier, creepier edge to it. So it feels even more like a nightmare that Doctor Strange then wakes up from because I don't feel like this feels like enough of a nightmare. Well, something that surprised me with this sequence and with later on in the movie when they are there in the dimension where they see the, you know, the, the we'll remember it for you thing. If you're going to convey a dream and you have somebody like Raimi doing it, I, how much more effective is this? If it's all done in first person, the way a dream would be, you wouldn't see yourself running in a dream. You'd be running in the dream. Right. Yeah. And you'd be yeah, turning point. around and looking and like, who is that person? What's that thing? I'm doing a thing. What's happening? And you would have the audience much more off kilter to get into that horror vibe. And I think that the big and the, the cold open really emphasizes this. I don't feel like I see Sam Raimi peek through in this movie until 30 minutes into it. There's a sequence 30 minutes into it where I go, ah, I see him. And it's it's um it's the first confrontation between Strange and the Scarlet Witch, and the the everything about it, the lighting switches, the camera choices switch, everything. I'm like, it's like somebody else actually showed up and put that sequence together, and it completely was wild to me how different. Like th this movie is a movie that's in search of a style. And it's jarring because, again, Sam Raimi is one of the godfathers of the modern superhero film. Period. Full stop. End of sentence. Everybody acknowledges his Spider-Man as the one that really kicks the door open. And suddenly studios say, oh, we can make money. Cool. But you look at that Spider-Man. That's a Sam Raimi movie. I look at this, I don't see a, I see a Sam Raimi in about a third of this movie. I don't see a Sam Raimi movie. And this cold open is the very first indication of that, that there is just too much throttling on a unique artistic vision. And you're, you're going to hate me for this. It's as if they didn't want another Thor to happen. Because Raimi is a big fan of weird camera angles and weird like fisheye lens type of shots and everything. And we all know, we talked about this when it came up. In the first Thor, they hated the camera angles that Branagh chose. And I'm on record as back then. Go back and listen to it if you want to. I loved it because I looked at it on the rewatch and I was like, this looks like somebody's movie. This looks like somebody made this movie instead of it just being you know, grist for the mill. And I know I'm rambling now, but you get what I'm going for, right? No, I do think that, I think that you have kind of nailed something that actually does happen in the film, which is there, there is a moment where the film turns and it's, it's a, it's almost like 
and I don't know if this is intentional. I think this is the question that I have, you know, about this. Is it intentional that, you know, the first 20 minutes or so of the movie feel more like a, a kind of like classic Marvel fair, you know, a kind of bland Marvel fair? And then as we move through the film, things continue to get weirder. And I mean, that's that's something that I'm because as the movie progresses, I feel like his style gets more and more pronounced uh, and and things be again, like I say, the, things just get weirder and weirder. And it's like we're really allowing him then to lean into, uh, you know, his style, which is to kind of be absurdist. In some ways, especially lean into the the type of powers that the Scarlet Witch has, the type of um, abilities that she has then and in, in taking people apart and stuff, uh, the weird multiversal action that we get, like all of those things that does feel like we do that. And so I, I, I guess I'm, I do have that question for you. Do you think maybe it is intentional for us to kind of start with almost like a blasé quintessential – Avengers style look, you know, and then kind of fall into the multiverse of madness where things continually seem to unravel as fast as, you know. No. I I I will say hard no. I watched this movie and I saw I just watched it for the first time and what I looked at and what I was pulling apart as I went what I see is I see a studio that got scared. And said, no, 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 no. This is how this big action beat has to go. No, 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 no. This is how we have to do that. And that's why the movie teeters back and forth. Even after Raimi's style asserts itself 30 minutes in, it then pulls back a little bit and goes forward. You have the the fight between Scarlet Witch and alternate Captain Marvel and Captain uh, Britain. And it's like, okay. Like, it's not... You know, that's like just obligatory effects sequence number 12. But then suddenly you get Charles Xavier inside Scarlet Witch's head. And I'm like, okay, that's Raimi, right? And we just suddenly flip and that's a Sam Raimi sequence. And we were just in something where I was completely uninterested in what was going on because it was literally... Scarlet Witch is a witch, but the power she's using is as if Iron Man is firing beams and Captain Marvel is firing beams and Captain Britain is throwing Captain America's shield. And I'm like, eh, what can you really do with that? Like, it's the same effect sequence I've seen a billion times by this point. And so I just, I don't know if it's Raimi being a team player and saying, okay, you guys want this. I'm just going to hand it off to the effects team. And hey, guys, this is what we're trying to convey. And then he suddenly shows back up in Professor X inside Scarlet Witch's head. And then we get another obligatory action beat. And he's like, okay, uh, I'm out again, guys. That's fine. Um, I think that the only overarching thing where you can see that Raimi had or at least attempted to have as much control as possible over this is that it does go to some dark 
places much darker than you're used to with Marvel by this point. And that's a win, but I'm stuck with the, you know, just, I, I can tell that it wa- that Raimi, his instincts would have taken it even a little farther because you get to that ending. Like, if you sit there and you say, Sam Raimi's directing it, throw pitch him an idea of what would happen, I'd be like, oh, fine. Doctor Strange possesses his own corpse and has a bunch of slickly designed, smart cra- cracking demons help him attack Scarlet Witch. Like, that is exactly what I would say if you said, what does a Sam Raimi Doctor Strange sequence look like? And I'm like, and that's what happens at the end. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a Sam Raimi movie right there. So I promise I'll stop harping on yeah. this point. No, I, 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 think, I apologize. Um, no, I think, you know, it, I, I, I do want to kind of talk more specifically about, uh, you know, all of this, because I think. And and you mentioned it, right, is that there's a win here. And I think that the for me, one of the biggest wins, especially rewatching this, is that this is the only movie I feel like in a very long time with Marvel that has really tried to be different in any way, shape, or form, mm. right? And I think that it is um, successful for the most part in it. I think there are places where it definitely lacks. I think you're absolutely right that there are places where it's almost like they won't just let Raimi off the chain and let him do what he wants to do. Um, but I think that, you know, and it just struck me the first time I saw this movie and it struck me, you know, the second time, which is, dang, if some of these scenes just aren't so incredibly trippy and cool and really well thought out mm-hmm. and just so visually interesting in a way that a Marvel movie hasn't been, I feel like, in so long that maybe, you know, it, um, it, it it's it's ameliorating some of the problems that we have with the movie. But mm. I find myself more invested in, in this movie than I have been in a Marvel fair for a while at this point just because – we are trying something different. It is darker. It is weirder. And, and which all of that makes sense when we're talking about Doctor Strange duking it out with, you know, uh, Scarlet Witch, right? It, it should be whacked and weird. That's the one thing that I did not get enough of in this movie, though, was one, enough focus on Doctor Strange. There are too many characters in this. This is it's. Uh, not an Avengers movie, but it's basically an Avengers movie because there are so many characters and so many threads and so much homework you should have done before you watch it. If you have, let, let me ask you this question. Okay. So let me wrap up that point. I don't get enough Dr. Strange arc for the uh, scene with him and Christine to really land at the end where he's introspective and he talks about, I love every version of you across every universe, no matter what, like, that is that should have felt like a gut punch, especially because you know that I enjoyed and you enjoyed as well the origi- the first Doctor Strange movie. It doesn't land the way I feel like it should because I was invested in those characters. Likewise, if Wanda Wanda's motivations are clear, but the emotional through line never quite lands. It feels almost like they suddenly decided to pull the punch at the end 
and they they just didn't want her to be a complete villain or they just muddled the execution. But I want to ask you this because, uh, you know, mentioning Wanda. Does this film benefit from the existence of WandaVision? Basically, it explains what her goal is and our kids and everything like that. Do you think it has any emotional punch without having seen WandaVision? I mean, it's a great question. Uh, I think maybe I care less about WandaVision after this than more. And part of it is because I can't care less about Wanda and her manufactured drama for herself. Like, I just don't care. Mm. She's a horrible villain who is a villain, completely, 100% a villain. Uh, and she can't see it, right? Which is sad, but I mean, she's willing to destroy multiverses to be a good mother. I guess that makes someone feel, I, you know, it's just so, I think what's so frustrating here is that they are trying to make me feel for a character who is, is, is a straight up villain. And I don't feel for her. Because um, what she's doing is so evil and so wrong um, that by the time we get any kind of like quote unquote redemption arc for her, I'm like, I just don't care. And um, I don't think she's really dead because watching it again, when that place, you know, collapses, there's like a, a red flash uh, right before it all falls down. And I'm like, she's not dead. Uh, she's going to come back. Because everybody comes back in Marvel. And so i that's how I feel about it. So I guess I'm kind of interested to see, you know, how you feel about it. I, I will be completely honest that I struggle even to remember the ending. If you were to have her show up in another movie, I'd probably say, eh, I got to go rewatch the end of Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness again just to remind myself. It's so weird because I don't feel like I should be as dis interested in Wanda's fate as I wind up being. And I think it's just a testament to how messy the film is because the weird stuff that we talk about, that's the memorable stuff. But where these characters go and why they're going that way. I, okay. Like they have to, I don't know. Well, I, that, sure. So, but that's the question I, I got to ask you. Look, we, we, you know, we have Wanda go through her experience with um, WandaVision, right? Where she's basically had a mental breakdown and she's turned uh, all of these people into her, her playthings. And now we have it where she feels like she's found the power to be able to get herself to her children in some universe where – the great question was, is what are you going to do with their mom that's already there? Which apparently means she's going to murder them uh, so that she can be the mom. It's like, I how am I oh, supposed to have any sympathy for this person whatsoever? Yeah, I know. I know. I, I You know, and, and I'm being glib and everything. You know, you got to break a few eggs. You got to break some eggs to make an omelet sort of thing. But like, that is... Um, I think that 
the problem, and I'll go ahead and embrace this, and people can call me a villain for saying it if they want to, but where I'll go ahead and embrace this is I think the major misstep of the film is introducing this America character. It muddles the plot. It's unnecessary. It would wind up giving more screen time and more vested emotional arc to both Wanda and Doctor Strange to have him have a moment where he's at Christine's wedding and he's like, what a man, I've been such a, a you know, a douchebag. Why can't I get things together? And then he talks with Wanda and then he finds out Wanda's been doing this nonsense behind his back. And then you have this, you know, more intrigue. I'm not trying to, re- I'm just pitching an idea for how you could have this movie with it, like without the America character who I'm like her name being America. Ah, I don't care whether the character exists in the comics or not. Every time they would sit there and they were like, America is in trouble. America needs our help. America's power is great. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, as much as I don't want to be that guy, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, that, that line's not going to play terribly well to international audiences, is it? Because like there, there are just these accidental turns of phrase that wind up coming into play where I'm like, I don't know, guys. This didn't seem like the best character name you could have chosen. But more than that, you know, it's just it. she becomes an extra character and I don't know why I need to care about her other than the fact that she has the power that Wanda is after. So more than anything, she's a non-character. She's a MacGuffin with eyeballs. And that's why I think the character doesn't work overall. It's interesting because I think I slightly disagree with you because I feel fully disagree. Embrace it. Come on. Come on. So I think I disagree with you in the sense that one of the things that I thought actually, especially with rewatching this film was, and and we've seen it with the, the character of Dr. Strange, especially when we had no way home is that in some ways he's almost become the new Tony Stark in the universe where he's accidentally Mm -hmm. turned into a role model for kids. And like, there's no reason for him to want to ever, he's never wanted to be a role model. Really? He's never wanted to be a dad. He's, he's been too selfish for all of this. And it's, it's, it's his arc. And and part of this is that Dr. Strange is such a similar character to Tony Stark, right? It takes a massive trauma to turn his life around, stop making him such an ass, basically, to stop thinking only of himself uh, and start thinking of others. I mean, it's basically the same plot line that you have for Tony Stark. And so by having him in the last few films, you know, now that he has been a part of, uh, turn into one where he's accidentally turned into this role model for children that he's become a, a, a pseudo mentor towards uh, is is an interesting arc. Um, and I think the America character, I found at the very end when when, you know, she says to him, you know, I'm glad that I landed in your universe. And he says, 
I am too, kid. It's it's moving the way it's played. The actors do a great job. There's excellent chemistry there, and I think that Cumberbatch really sells it. And I think there's something actually really beautiful there. I, I think the thing about the film is that, in all honesty, what I would have loved to see is them spend just a little bit more time developing that relationship together. Um, because I think it would have helped, you know, they, they try doing that where they give each other the moment to see bits of their past. Um, so they get to experience that together. Um, but I don't think there are enough moments like that in the film to truly create the cohesion that you want between these characters, even in the same way that I think, uh, you know, Dr. Strange has with Spider-Man and no way home. And so I think it's mostly successful, uh, but I don't think it's all the way successful. And I think that may be the hallmark of this movie in general. It's like, it's almost there, but not quite. I, 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 I think it's basically just unsuccessful. And it's, I think you're right. If they spent more time developing it, that would be great. But you're dealing with a three hour movie at that point because you have Wanda's arc, you have America's arc, you have Doctor Strange's arc. None of the arcs get treated adequately and it it basically comes across as none of the arcs get treated adequately because they felt compelled to have action se- generic action sequence right, 247 right. play again yep. and generic cold you know cold open execution which could have been half the length that it was so there are a number of missteps where i'm sure that i would feel differently about the america character if those things happened, right. or you had more time to develop her, if you had more time to have her be a character as opposed to, I, I'll go ahead, like she just basically becomes like the Death Star plans. It's just what people are chasing. And that's not fair mm-hmm. to the character yeah. because it doesn't give her time to get that emotional hook in a hard-hearted person like myself. Right. Who needs time with that character right. to care about what's going on? No, I, I, I'm not completely disagreeing. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not completely disagreeing with you. I think it works slightly better for me than it does you. But in the end, I think we're actually closer than, than we are apart on it. And I think for me, the, um, that end scene that they have kind of wins me over a little bit more. Um, but I heartily agree. I mean, I, I think that, you know, as we're talking about this movie, I think that the things that this movie needed were complete sellout to whatever it is that Raimi wants to do. Yes. And I think it also, you needed to find a way to balance the stories between Strange, America, and Wanda better. And... I think if you do that, which basically I think just needs a script polish, right? Um, And then basically Marvel, get off Raimi's butt and let him do his thing. That's why you hired him. Um, You already know the guy's a genius and he's done great stuff before for Marvel in general. So, I mean, well, Spider-Man 3, but let's not count that. Um, You know what? No, thank you for mentioning Spider-Man 3 because that is one where it's acknowledged that the studio meddled. 
they forced him to do things that he didn't want to do. And he was a team player and he went ahead and he did them and he gave it his best shot. And Spider-Man 3, everybody talks about how it falls apart at that point because the studio stepped in and said, no, we have to say what's happening. That's what happens here as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that the general message is if you're going to hire a director, doesn't matter who it is, if you're going to hire a director because of the specific skill set and perspective that they bring to something, then you give them a check, you get out of their way, and you let them go. There are plenty of instances where they then, you know, quote unquote, fix it in post sort of thing. But what you need is you need somebody who is an artist as that backstop, not somebody who is, I I know this is going to sound terrible, but there's nothing about Kevin Feige that strikes me as him as an artist so much as a numbers guy, as a producer guy. He can get things done. He can put things out. He can say, okay, well, this was successful in our last thing, and these are what the metrics tell us. Sam Raimi's not a metrics guy. Sam Raimi's a Sam Raimi guy. Well, Same with I mean, Kenneth Branagh is a Kenneth Branagh guy. But the, it's because they're and, actual you – know, I mean, they're artists, right? They have a style right. and they have a way of doing things, and, and I think that's the thing that does but, set them apart. But help me crack this this specific nut, right, is – James Gunn, they get out of his way with his Guardians movies. They're basically standalones. Why can't they get out of Raimi's way? I, if yeah, all they I do is know. they treat Raimi with the same respect they treat Gunn, different movie. Yeah. And probably I love it. I don't get it. Why does Gunn mm-hmm. get a more hands-off treatment than Raimi? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a phenomenal question, and I I don't think that there's an answer to that question uh, because there the only answer is is that they screwed up, right, by not doing it, and they should have. And, and in all honesty, I think it's a place where, um, and as I think, especially we've as we move through phase four. We've really come down to this place where we're struggling with the fact that overall this phase seems directionless, purposeless, and it's it's not hitting the creative mark that those first three phases did, where you would have those true standouts. You know, you'd have your uh, Winter Soldiers, you'd have your Guardians of the Galaxy films. You know, like you mentioned, I, I don't love the Thor movie, but obviously Brana has his own point of view. Uh, you'd get like a Black Panther in there that had its own point of view and feel and everything. Um, you know, you're just not getting those. Oh, and of course, Iron Man, which sets the stage for everything. Or even Ant-Man. Uh, true. Yeah. Ant-Man, yeah. which which completely goes in a, a comedic direction like Guardians, but its own comedic direction. Yes. Yes. And yeah. And it's um it's weird. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate question, isn't it? Yeah. With with all of Marvel, is why do you give some people as much rope as they want to and other people you keep them on a tighter leash? 
Why is it? What is the decision metric that causes you to do that? I honestly don't know. Is it just personality? Do you think it just comes... Let me ask, like, do you think it just comes down to who knows how to... Forgive me for putting it this way. Does it just come down to who knows how to kiss ass better? Who can sit in the meetings with the, the production team or the board of justice or whatever and sit there. You know, the, you know what? That Illuminati that Dr. Strange encounters. I'm like, oh, that's is that is that Raimi making commentary on working with Marvel right there? Because if so, it's pretty slick, you know? Like, cause there, cause honestly, look at that scene. Strange is sitting there. It's like, take the shackles off of me. Let me do what I need to do. And then you have this board of people that are like, no, we know better. We, we don't trust you. We're, we, this went wrong for us before. My goodness. Did we just stumble on a meta read of that I love scene? It. I think you're absolutely that- right. Well, it, it might actually make that might have actually just raised my rating. I, no, of this I, film. I, I actually think you have nailed it there. Um, I I do think that there's there's this strange um, dark magic that will not allow enough people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have a vision. Um, I think we also even saw that with like Eternals, right? You know. Chloe Zhao is a specific type mm. of film director, and you're trying to force her to make a Marvel movie, right? And and that's not the type of director that she is. She's an intimate film director. Find her an intimate story to direct, not a movie that's supposed to, you know, introduce 47 characters and a whole new part of the universe. It's just... So, if you're going to ask... Sam Raimi, one of the most well-known horror directors, to direct a Doctor Strange film, let him do his thing. You know, because I think of, to me, uh, and I'll ask you what your standout scene is, but to me, the scene that I still thought was incredibly inventive and so freaking cool was the music battle. Like, that is absolutely 100% one of the neatest things I've ever seen in any Marvel movie ever because it's just, it's taking the absurdity of this magic that these people can do and putting it into practice in a way that is just absolutely astounding, right? It's like, it's visually interesting. It's, it's arresting. Like I'm at the edge of my seat watching it. The sound design in it is perfect. The effects look great. Like everything about it is exactly what this entire movie needed to be. Yes. And I'm, yes, I can't disagree with that at all, but because I don't want to be boring because I was giggling through that whole thing. Yes. Yes. Not because I was laughing at it, but I was giggling because it was like, I'm, I'm, I feel so alive. This is this is why I come to cinema. This is why I watch film. Is something really unique and interesting like this. Because I want to make sure to pick something different. Standout scene winds up being 
the the scene where he is battling with the demons for control of his his corpse and they're coming out in the world and Christine Rachel McAdams character has to pr- protect him because again you get Raimi demonish designs this is this is the evil dead Raimi given a budget having something happen you have a necronomicon aspect to it and you wind up having fisheye reaction shots with Rachel McAdams and so that winds up being very you know to borrow your own term uh you know very arresting because it suddenly comes alive i see a director who's really interested in what's going on right now and so yeah i agree with you the music scene was an amazing sequence because conceptually to execute from con- from concept to execution that is something that is a true artist at work mm-hmm. and then i think that mm-hmm. there is somebody who with that that sequence where rachel mcadams is protecting his body it's somebody who has complete command of his craft at work who knows what camera angle like that's not somebody saying to the cinematographer i don't know what shot do you want that's somebody sitting there saying shoot it like this get this shot move the camera this way and then talking to the editor and saying you got to cut at this point you got to move this way you got to you know let this scene play out that way and it feels like nobody else was sitting calling those shots but him yeah i completely agree with you with that and i i think you know just to on top of the favorite moments that we were just talking about, I think that there are so many places later on in this film where you can clearly see Raimi's influence and in design and camera work. I mean, especially when they do go to that whacked out planet that's almost destroyed. And the visual mm-hmm. language of that planet is so incredibly interesting It's so well done. It's crazy design work. You know, the fact that he walks into the Santorum and then there's just this staircase to heaven, right? And it's on the, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and that's the thing about this movie is it's almost schizophrenic in the sense that the beginning just doesn't feel like the end where there is all of this work where it does almost feel like, and and this is where I can't come back. I kind of come back to this. It almost does feel like it's intentional that the beginning of the film feels more blasé and the end of the film feels insane. Um, it's like we can we descend into madness maybe as we move through the film. But I would say I think if it is intentional, it's not done with the type of intentionality that makes that clear, right? Um, which is if 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 that's what they're going for they needed to make it clearer uh and cleaner as you make that transition um because i feel like you know the beginning and and st- it just there's something about it that just like you said it feels off it just doesn't feel right and as you move throughout the throughout the film you're like oh no this feels right this feels like what it should have been the whole time you know, and it, it's frustrating that it's just like if 
I think this is the thing. So many of these types of films, right, if you put it in the hands of the right director and you let them do their thing, you're going to get what needs to happen, right? You know, if you give it to a Raimi, uh, if you give it to a Snyder, uh, if you give it to these type of people, they know exactly what they want to see and how they want to see it. They're visionary directors that understand exactly what they want to see, right? And I think that's one of the things especially we see later in the film with all these effects is Raimi knows what he wants from the VFX, which is why as the film progresses, I think the the effects and, and, and the action look better and better because he's he he gets what he wants and he can tell the vfx artists without making changes um it's just it it doesn't seem to be as cohesive it needs to be as a whole yeah i I think that's a good way to put it is that it's not as cohesive as it needs to be um i think that what's interesting about it as well is you mentioned the the you know the sound design and I agree with you in that music battle sequence is terrific and so overall the 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 sound editing the montage works but what's so weird to me is I cannot for the life of me remember the score not one note about it there's nothing I remember about the score am I on an island on that one or, like, I can't recall a single sequence except for that music battle sequence where I'm like, oh, wow, that was great. That was great film score music. Like, it just feels not memorable. You know, I, I think, you know, you're right, obviously, that the music battle is exceptionally rememberable um, when it comes to the score. I think the rest of the score is one of those that kind of falls into the background with the rest of the film. And so it's neither bad nor good. It just is there. And so, and I, and I haven't actually gone back and listened to it in a while. Um, I have the album and I just haven't, you know, gone back and listened to it, which probably says a lot. Right. Um, I, I think what's interesting is that, um, uh, Danny Elfman does a very serviceable job here. Um, and, you know, of course, with the music battle, he's using Beethoven's fifth in an incredibly interesting way. Um, but in all honesty, I, I maybe this will get me in trouble, but I find Danny Elfman to be not at the top of his game anymore. Uh, and so, yes, is this a serviceable score? Yes. Is it one that I spend a lot of time listening to? Well, I've already said no. Elfman's a good composer, but I find him at the at the latter stage of his career the same way that I find like uh, John. You know, forgive me for saying it, John Williams. There are certain periods of Williams's work where the music's not as as memorable is probably he'd like it to be because maybe he's not as inspired by the work and, or maybe he's got a deadline and he's trying to meet it. And it's like, I I don't know. Okay. I'll do this sort of thing. Um, It's bizarre for me to say that a Danny Elfman score is not memorable though, because Danny Elfman 
at least winds up creating themes that are very, very memorable. So maybe it's that he's coming in and this is not a theme that he created. So he doesn't find his muse, as it were. But I I wish that there was something where I could point at, you know, uh, Scarlet Witch's theme is really memorable, but it isn't. You know, he works in things from the X-Men animated series. He works in, you know, stuff from WandaVision. So in a sense, just like Raimi, this feels like an artist who's had shackles put on him. And he just, he's like, okay, well, I'll do what I need to do. And Mm -hmm. I'll punch through at the points where I can. But you've given me really tight guidelines. So, you know, how much can you expect from me? Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think that it's a hundred percent right on that. I uh, I wanted to ask you, I think, a, a really interesting question because it comes down to something that was, uh, of course, a big moment in the film for a lot of people, which is you know that Illuminati scene where we get these characters. You know, we finally get John Krasinski. The fans have been calling for him to be, you know, Mister Incredible, which for a very long time. Um, and of course, we, you know, we get Patrick Stewart back as Professor X. Uh, we've got Captain Carter in live action. And so I wanted to ask you, and of course, which is hilarious, we've got Anson Mount as, you know, the king of the Inhumans from the show that was defunct, right? Um, no, no offense to Anson Mount, who was, you know, great in, uh, Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And I think, you know, he doesn't even the get the show this, that was canceled it, before it ever much. aired. <laughs> um, yeah. so I just, I really did. I wanted to ask you, you know, how you felt like that, because it, it's definitely a big part of this film. And it, it was, I mean, I remember seeing the movie. It was something where fans were like cheering when, when those characters came on the screen. Yes. But would my wife have cared? Would she have gotten a giggle from Captain Carter? Would she have cared about alternate Captain Marvel? Would she, you know, she would look at John Krasinski and she would say, oh, John Krasinski, cool. And be like, oh, he's Reed Richards. And she'd say, who's Reed Richards? And I'd sit there like, okay, okay. The Fantastic Four, nothing. Really? Okay. Fantastic Four, the you know, the, the first family of, of comic books? Nothing. Okay. And I'm not saying that to drag my wife. I'm drag I'm I'm saying that to say to people who aren't steeped in these things, they barely remember that Patrick Stewart played Professor X. The funniest thing about it being they remember him as Jean Luc Picard even though that role was before Professor X. That is a role that he'll, like, it's so funny because all the Star Trek fans like us, we were all giddy about him being Professor X. But most people don't remember him as Professor X anymore because those movies are so far in the past sort of thing. So I think it's great that they have these people as a, a fan homage sort of thing. It's it's a it's a long, slow, wet kiss for the fans. 
but for the people who are not fans or steeped in the lore, it's a scene. It's a sequence. It's a thing that happens. And they do a good enough job explaining it, but it it isn't quite the... It doesn't have the giddiness factor that it might for you and me. And so these sorts of moments are always tough for me because I immediately plug in. I see Professor X show up. I go, oh, cool. There's going to be a mind sequence. People who don't remember the original X-Men or haven't read the comics, they don't understand why Professor X is walking in her brain or what that scene, like they get what that scene represents. Raimi does a good job of communicating it, but they don't understand. They need somebody like you or me sitting there saying, oh no, you don't understand. Professor X is like the most powerful mutant, uh, you know, with, 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 uh, psych powers that has ever existed. He's crazy. In fact, I, it, I, I could see, I, in my own brain, I could sit there and be like, wow, they could really spin this off into him becoming Onslaught and, you know, do like a movie version of the Onslaught thread. And I'm like, okay, okay, they can't do that. They're not going to do that. Right. That's, that's not a thing that's going to happen. Right. Like, it's that sort of thing. Um, so I think for fan love, it's a win. But for the film as a whole, it's functional. But it's a bit of navel gazing for the MCU mm. by this point. I really like the scene and I think it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, I 100% love uh, the fact of, you know, getting to see uh, these characters. You know, um, I've also been one of those fans who's on the John Krasinski train to be Mr. Incredible. You know, I honestly think it would be incredible to have him and... Emily Blunt play, you know, uh, Sue Storm. I uh, can't imagine a better choice for for that. Um, so I I think all that was great. Of course, growing up uh, and 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 seeing all the films with Patrick Stewart is is Professor X. You know, all of that is fantastic. I think um, the one thing that actually it, it's it's different from you the the complaint that I have about this. I'm just disappointed in the action sequence that we get with the fact that we take out our inhuman king and then apparently the smartest man in the universe is not so smart um, and then we're left with, you know, Captain Marvel and Captain Britain to take on uh, a, a character who, you know, uh, should be able to take on Captain Britain and destroy her within seconds. Uh, and, you know, the the fight between her and Captain Marvel should be longer. Um, but I, I think that's the thing that really I, I'm more frustrated with is that I feel like uh, the action with them is, is not as good as it could be. Um, I do mm-hmm. think the scene, of course, you mentioned, which was fantastic with uh, Professor X you know, when he goes into her mind, that's phenomenal. I mean, just great work. It's interesting. Yes. It's actually interesting. So I think it's mostly a win for me. It's, I think it's, 
it's just not as close as it should be, right? Um, it's not as good as it could be, and I think that's that's probably the thing that I'm 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 frustrated with about that. Um, I, you know, I I'm I'm really interested. You know, we we've talked obviously a bunch about this film now, and was there anything else? Was there anything else good or bad that stood out to you that, you know, was there anything that made you frustrated? Was there anything that um, left you cold? Was, you know, was there anything else that we missed that you, you felt like you just had to say about Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness before we get to our ratings and all? While I was watching it, one of my daughters walked in, saw a scene and said, Oh, that looks really fake. And I said, yeah, that's not the greatest compositing in the world. This winds up becoming another exhibit in the idea that we've reached a phase in Marvel where Marvel slash Disney are in the, uh, to, to borrow my own phrase, F it, you're going to watch anyway stage of the digital backgrounds and set extensions where they just don't, they don't seem to want to give these teams the money or the time to put love into it. Right. And so they wind up, there are plenty of scenes where they're going along and it's like, look, we all know it's fake. We all know it's composites, but there's a certain amount of love that should be put into it and a certain amount of time and money you should be giving your crews so that they can give that to you so that they can get it done so that you're not sitting there and saying, Okay, here's our release date. You have to generate this incredible sequence in five months. Oh, and by the way, you got to do this too in one month. Well, it's not fair to them. And you wind up with, you know, things where kids walk into the room, they look at it and they go, oh, that looks so fake. And it's like, if what's going on is super interesting, you don't care that it looks fake. You're fine with it, right? Anakin... And Obi-Wan saying goodbye to each other on the platform in a 2005 movie when this is just becoming really the thing. You look at it and you say, that's not ultra convincing. But you look at it and you love what's happening. And so you don't really pay attention to it. The lighting, everything like that. So I just... That, that's the one thing is we're in the, the, the you're going to watch it anyway phase and it comes, it shows through at plenty of points. You know, I, I think that you're a hundred percent right on that, John. Um, I, I think what I found uh, for myself was that there are plenty of places in this, which are uh, incredibly interesting and incredibly well done uh, with the, uh, the effects here. Uh, and yet what we run into, I think, is that many of the places here, unfortunately, with uh, the effects is that they're inconsistent. There are places where they're incredibly awesome. And then there are places where it's just like, what in the world is going on here? Why? Why are we doing this? Right? Like, why is this not look like it did before? Um, and I think that's the thing that's kind of frustrating because I, I honestly do believe that there are places in this movie where uh, I and, and I, I'll call out one of them, not just the music battle, but I thought the moment where they're flying through universes and switching 
was incredibly cool. Um, especially when they turned yeah. into paint and like, like there's so much whacked out weird stuff that's going on in that moment, which is so neat. And yet th- those, that moment and the, the, the battle that we get there with the music, it's, it's like the rest of the film just can't quite keep up with that amount of awesomeness. And it's, it's frustrating because the movie, I think on a whole, actually does work, look better than most of the movies that we've been getting, right? It just lacks, I think, the internal consistency to to give us everything. And I think that's the frustrating part. It's just like it can't put the whole thing together, right? Um. And that's obnoxious to me, you know, like, because I feel like if this movie worked better, even just with the VFX being completely consistent the entire way, it would make it even more enjoyable. Because I think a lot of the choices as to what we're doing here are fun and cool and interesting and weird and whacked out especially as we get into the last two thirds of the film. Uh, and that's, that's great. That's kind of what I want from this movie is I come into a movie called the multiverse of madness. Well, yeah, give me some madness. And um, what you need then in that madness is consistency in the maddening special effects. And what's maddening is that they're not consistent enough. So um, mm-hmm. which leads me to the question then, John, what are you going to rate Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness? Well, I actually wind up coming very much softer on this after our discussion. I think powered by the fact that there are scenes and sequences that do sing because of Raimi's uh, skills. Uh, both as an artist and a craftsman. I think that despite the mid credit sequence being a big old donut of not caring, uh, with Charlie's throne showing up and cutting open the thing, and I was like, eh, who cares? Like the the final moment where he's screaming and his third eye opens, I'm like, oh, that's wild. Like that's a Sam Raimi sort of thing, right? Like that's a horror ending right there. And then I would say one of the best final end credits stingers of the entire MCU with the delightful Bruce Campbell uh, looking at the screen and saying, it's over. Loved it. I'm going to wind up giving this, uh, because I'm in a generous mood right now after the conversation, I'm going to wind up giving this a three. I was originally coming at this with a two, but I realized that there are moments that really hooked me, and I was invested in paying attention, and it's where Raimi comes through. So I'm, I'm going to give this a three. What about you? I, you know, oh gosh, when I, when I first rated this film, 
it was a four. And mm-hmm. I think part of that was just because at that point, you know, we are really getting um, something that we've never gotten in phase four, which was just something that was interesting, right? Like, I know a lot of people just f- had problems with this movie. They were kind of frustrated with it and everything. But I found it visually interesting. I found it, uh, you know, engaging and for the most part, I was pretty entertained by it, you know, which sadly hadn't really happened much in, in phase four, especially with the films. But I think it's it's going to land and probably will stay at a three and a half out of five. I think that all the things that we said and basically, in all honesty, what this movie really just needed was it needed to be. It needed to allow Raimi to do Raimi stuff and let the studio be damned, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. if they had done that, I think this film would have been even better than it is. I think for, unfortunately for Phase 4, this is uh, one of the best of Phase 4, right? Um, Yes. And it's something that I would actually go back and watch again. I I was thinking to myself, like, today, like, you know, this is interesting enough for me to kind of want to go back and watch this again sometime. Um, there's very few things mm-hmm. in Phase 4 other than, I say, uh, maybe Hawkeye that really grab my attention where I'd probably go back and, and enjoy watching it again. Um, there's a lot of other reasons beyond that. I think the characters, it's it's a fun Christmas uh, type of story to watch maybe around Christmas time, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Shang-Chi was good too as well. But there's something about this where it was really just taking uh, a lot of risks that Marvel hasn't taken in a while. And I think that's the thing that kind of um, sets it apart. And I'm struggling then, you know, when we think of our rankings, because I I rated Chang-Chi higher, but this has a lower ranking. But which one would I watch more or whatever? That's where I'm really fascinated to kind of see where you come in with your rankings now for the MCU. Okay, everybody take a deep breath, okay? Because here we go. And I I never remember where I put what if because it's not on – it's not on Letterboxd for whatever reason. Yeah, which dang you, Letterboxd. Dang you. Deep breath here. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, of course, Iron Man 3, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Hawkeye, Doctor Strange, Loki, Civil War, Captain America, Civil War, Captain America, The First Avenger, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Excessive Words. Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers, Howard the Duck, Moon Knight, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, and always eternally at the bottom, Eternals. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. Uh, The Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, No Way Home, Endgame, Civil War, The First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, 
Ant-Man, Hawkeye, What If, Doctor Strange, Shang-Chi, The Incredible Hulk, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which could trade places sometime with Guardians of the Galaxy, which is next, Homecoming, Ant-Man of the Wasp, Loki, Avengers, Far From Home, Infinity War, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, Moon Knight, Black Widow, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Thor Ragnarok, and probably never going to be replaced, Eternals. What's fascinating to me is regardless of whose list you're on, Howard the Duck is the line of demarcation. Yeah. Between it is. stuff you would yeah. rewatch yeah. and stuff you would cast away. Uh, yeah. Moon Knight's right there. Moon, Moon Knight's toe is right there on the line. And then everything else post Howard the Duck for both of our lists, mm-hmm. you know how we feel yes, about it. Yes. I, mean, I love that. There, I love that. It's so funny because there are things that are <laughs> on the list that, of course, we haven't gone through yet that I'll tease. There are below Howard the Duck. That once I watch them for this show, I will literally never, ever, and I mean ever, watch again. So what I what I absolutely love above and beyond everything else is the fact that we found an excuse to have Howard the Duck in this list. Yeah, <laughs> nothing Fantastic. else. I mean, he's but canon. We pulled in right? Howard he's the canon. Duck. He We've is. seen him a couple times. He's canon. So, yep. Well, it, he is part of the MCU. John, if, if people want to catch up with you uh, and see what else you do have going on these days, where would they find you? Well, why on God's green earth would anybody? But if they want to, you can find me out there as Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. If you haven't looked it up already, you'll never look it up. That's okay. I'll spell it anyway for you. You can find me over on Letterboxd having a lot of fun. You can find me over on Twitter as Kessel Junkie, you can find me on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting two shows. One show is called House Lights, looking at the works of directors, and then the other one is called Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast that I co-host with you, Mr. Matthew Rushing. And of course, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. There are a thousand of them these days, and a new one every day. So just check out that username, and you'll probably find me. Of course, you can also find me here on the network with the Six Hundred Two Club main feed. You can also find me with Warp Five about Star Trek Enterprise, Literary Treks about the books and comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We've also got Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds and the Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, all of those shows I'm on. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network when I'm not doing aggressive negotiation. There's a completed show with Dre Kaufman called Owlpost, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers? Avengers?